Hi, this is Danielle Krissa from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 187 of Art for Your Ear. So, how should we finish up a November that started with the most nail-biting, anxiety-inducing election ever? My suggestion would be with pom-poms, tinsel, and glitter as far as the eye can see. <laughs> yep, I wrote about her a few weeks ago, and voila, just like that, she's on the podcast. Australian artist Rachel Burke makes the craziest, most wonderful work. Also crazy and wonderful, her story. I could not have guessed the path that she followed to get where she is today, and I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. But before we jump in, a bunch of you messaged me and asked if I would talk about a story that I posted to Instagram about a week ago. It was a photo of a great big list of seemingly random things written in pink marker. The caption over the top said, spent yesterday making lists to understand my own artwork. It worked. So here's the story behind this story. You know when your brain is buzzing <laughs> and ideas and thoughts are swirling around, but it feels impossible to actually grab any of them? Sort of like trying to catch a fly with chopsticks? Yes, that is what my head has felt like um, over the last two or three weeks for sure, as I push myself forward with all of this new work that I've been making, thinking about, and honestly obsessing over. I really like where it's going, and there are definite themes that I've been pulling into each piece based on, well, like a gut instinct, I guess. Um, and that's when things started getting swirly. <laughs> I felt like not only was the work starting to feel busy and confused, but I was starting to feel exactly the same way. For me, this means it's time for a little Danielle date. I decided to take myself on a socially distanced coffee date with a notepad and a pen to figure this out. Always a multitasker, I tried to get a jump on the list while I was driving to my favorite cafe, but I could not get past the first item or two. It felt like a weird computer glitch, like my brain would just not let me work it out. Thankfully, making lists and coffee both exist, so otherwise I would probably just be wandering around lost somewhere <laughs> still. So I sat down and I started writing. So this is what people were asking me about. They asked, what did you write? How did you know where to start? What kinds of things did you put on the list? How did having them in a list make them any, make any more sense than they did floating around in your head? Ah, all excellent questions. Well, for me, stream of consciousness list making is like meditating. I never worry about what's getting written. I just put it all down there and I edit later once the fog starts to clear. So the top line item said, in all caps, I might add, what's the point? Why this work? <laughs> I wrote sort of in a messy point form style, what it is that I am really trying to say with this work. Not the tangents or the side notes that have sprung up, but the heart of it. The simplest way to explain it. For any of you that have been in the corporate world, I was sort of thinking of this as a really short, to the point, mission statement. Here is what I wrote. So, point one. Saying goodbye and thank you at the same time. Filling emptiness, both physically and emotionally. Finding beauty after pain and loss and celebrating and honoring my femininity because I'm still a woman, even if I don't have a uterus. Ah, less swirly already. 
Okay, so now over to the pieces that I already have underway. I'm not sure, actually, if I've talked about this on the podcast. I'm pretty sure I have. But I know for sure that this is one of the chapters in my Skillshare class about breakthrough aha moments. There is a link to that class at the bottom of Rachel's post on my site if you want to check it out. The chapter is about documenting your visual vocabulary. The bits and pieces that go into most or all of your work and then really diving into think about to thinking about why you have those go-to colors or images or mark-making styles. This is such an interesting and very eye-opening exercise that I really do think every artist should take some time to do. So the question is, why do you always use that certain shade of yellow? Well, you might say, because it's my favorite. But I will bet you $10 that if you really give it some thought, you'll realize there's so much more to it. Maybe that was the color that your grandmother's kitchen was painted. Or maybe you've tucked away a memory of picking dandelions on a sunny day when you were five. It's all in there somewhere. We just have to do a little digging. So that's what I did. I wrote down all of the objects that I've been using repeatedly. Things like seashells, swans, um, fruit, jewels, pearls, peacocks, magpies, flowers, cats, perfume. You get the idea. It's a pretty long list. <laughs> Next, I called on my right-hand man, Google. I started at the top with what do seashells symbolize or represent? And I worked my way down. Well, the search results were amazing. Some of them were bang on, like swans representing self-love and inner beauty, for example. What? So perfect. Um, for things that Google could not help with, like my relationship with my grandmother, I had to do a little more personal work, of course, but I got there. As the list went along, there were things that got scratched off, stuff that was just causing confusion in the work and in my brain. So now here I am with a much shorter list, a clearer vision, and a lot less static in my head. Ah, sweet relief. Okay, so now I've got my list. Where did this lead me, you're wondering? Well, I had started making altars. Altars? Yes, and you guessed it. I Googled that too. <laughs> I'd only done one. I had about five or six pieces going, and one of them was an altar, but it was my favorite, so I kind of dove into this. So what an altar is is a space or place to give offerings to those who have passed. Well, that falls perfectly in line with saying goodbye and thank you at the same time. I figured everything about my little mini mission statement was screaming altar, and here's why. I am sure that you've heard me talk about Venice a million times. Sorry. No, I'm actually not. Um, <laughs> one of the things I noticed on my last trip to Venice, um, not this summer, but the summer before, um, and maybe it was because my friend Jocelyn and I spent a lot of evenings wandering through regular neighborhoods and the back streets, but we saw so many of these really cool little makeshift altars. They were in people's windows and sort of random nooks in the walls of this magical, magical place. Almost all of them had an image of Mary, or another ethereal-looking saint, being thanked with plastic flowers, candles, and the odd bit of trash that someone tossed in there. Honestly, even a Fanta can with a fake rose stuck in it looks pretty perfect to me. Anyway, that is where I am. 
making altars to fill the emptiness left behind after a hysterectomy, giving feminine offerings to any angels who might be watching over me, and ultimately finding beauty, even if there is a bit of garbage in there too. And that is that. The very long story behind that really quick Instagram story. I highly recommend doing something like this every now and then, and you don't have to wait until you're feeling fuzzy and foggy to do it. It's a great way to check in with yourself and your work. Also, you get coffee, so. Okay, so if you have more questions about that, shoot me a DM um, or you know, check out the Skillshare class because I, th I really think this is a, such an important um, way to deep dive into your own work and answer questions maybe you didn't even know that you had. Anyway, let's get on with today's episode, shall we? Rachel's work is unapologetically feminine, which I absolutely love, of course. So let's roll up our sleeves and talk about tinsel, wiener dogs, pom-poms, motherhood, and a crazy path to a fabulous career, calling Rachel Burke in Brisbane, Australia. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to Art for Your Ear. Hi, how you going? Good. So it is Thursday for me and Friday for you. I don't know why the Canada-Australia math breaks my brain, but I'm so glad that I remembered that, no, I would be talking to you on Thursday, even though you were talking to me on Friday. Yes, you're living in the past and <laughs> I'm in the future. <laughs> How is it there? How's the, how's the future? Is it exciting? Oh, look, the future's all right. It's a sunny day and I'm feeling fresh. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I just wrote about you the other day and um, we ended up DMing about sausage dogs and babies and everything. And I was like, well, this is crazy. Let's just have her on the podcast and discuss all this stuff in person. Yes, and I'm so excited. Thank you so much for asking me. It was such a nice thing to wake up to, um, to see that blog post as well, because I have been listening to your podcast for years. So oh. I was truly stoked. Um, so, and it's, it's quite surreal to be even chatting to you um, <laughs> because I've, I've listened to you for so many moons. <laughs> oh, that's so neat. You know, it's so funny is if I ever go and do, well, you know, since COVID, I haven't gone anywhere, but when I used to go and do speaking um, stuff, so many people would just be staring at me with their heads kind of to the side being like, it's so weird to hear you and see you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, can I can imagine that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but we are just, we are just hearing each other. One day, one day we'll see each other in person, I hope. Yes, absolutely. You come on by to sunny Brisbane or I will, I will try. You're in Canada. Hey. Yeah, I'm on the West yeah. Coast of Canada. Yep. Okay. I actually think I have some family in Canada. Um, so maybe, maybe one day when everything gets back to normal, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, <laughs> there will be a journey made. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? I actually have really, really good friends in Brisbane, Canadian friends who oh, moved you? there for a one year job and they've yes. now been there for 10 years and are now Australian citizens. Oh my goodness. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you rope them in and you kept them. <laughs> Great. Well, it is a fun city. Um, I definitely didn't see myself necessarily living here always, but it sucks. It sucks you in. It's yeah, a very clearly. Like, chill. Um, I mean, great weather place. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, okay. Well, let's start back at the beginning. So I take it you were not born in Brisbane. Where did you grow up? And while you were growing up, were you artsy? Yeah. So I, I did grow up in Melbourne. 
And um, yeah, I moved up to Brisbane when I was about 15 with my family, not, not by myself. (laughs) Uh, And I, I uh, was, I, I, I would say yes, that I was an arty kid growing up. Um, definitely always very drawn to kind of shiny, crafty materials from the get-go. <laughs> um, and just like loved drawing and um, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I, I must mention that my mum is of kind of European background. She's Maltese. And growing up, like our house is just super clean and just very it's just that Mediterranean aesthetic sort of thing like polished marble and spiral staircases and just she was just not stoked on crafty things being in the house uh so some of my like earliest childhood memories of being kind of arty and crafty were of like trying to smuggle these things into the house and um (laughs) like just filling my little year one art smock with all these crafty materials and trying through subterfuge to like uh (laughs) creep into the house and hide them in little nooks and crannies and I would always be found because I would leave a total mess. I was going to say, you're probably Um, leaving a trail of glitter behind you. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. There is this one memory of this like beautiful, like mint green glitter. I do not know where I got it from. Um, Like of smuggling into the house. And then when I was just playing in my room, I was like, oh, I've got a private moment. I'll pull out this green glitter and Uh-oh. just spilling it all over the carpet. I just don't, I don't know what I thought was going to happen when I was just pouring it out and then just spending all like the hours that passed just trying to put all the glitter back, like trying to get <laughs> glitter off the carpet and put it back into the little jar. Uh, just disastrous. I think I had to confess um, to, to oh my mom. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. And she was probably like, this is more evidence of why we can't have these things in the house. So, uh, uh, yeah, I was, um, definitely super drawn much like a magpie to shiny things and, and crafty materials. And even though I knew that they shouldn't really be in the house, I was always trying to bring them in anyway. Uh, oh my gosh. That is exactly the story I thought you were going to tell because I was like, <laughs> really? clearly, it has continued, but then I was like, wait, what if she's like, oh no, I was very into math and um, order and cleanliness, but no, there was mint green glitter made its way in. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny. My sister was super, because I've got a sister and she was super the like math lead, uh, very um, academic type. So we were kind of like pole opposites. opposites. Laura was always the clever one and I was the <laughs> creative one. Uh, is she, <laughs> which, is yeah, she older really than like, you? Older. Pardon, sorry? Is she older than you? Yes, she is. She's about four years older than me. Okay. um, Yeah, she was always the the logical uh, academic one. But as I got older, I started to um, kind of resent those labels a little bit and push back. But uh, I I also did like that as well, being kind of the creative one in the family, because there was really no one else uh, who was ever doing anything remotely creative. So I, I kind of liked growing up being a little bit different uh, from everyone else in my fam, I guess. Yeah. Did you, did you dress like, were were there tinsel coats in first grade or? I I mean, no, (laughs) (laughs) I I wish. I think that um, growing up, all I kind of remember was just sort of following the rules with like wearing of the clothes. I guess it's very much like what your parents give you and um, wearing school uniforms and stuff like that. So I I definitely remember as a teenager um, feeling like the the things that I wore just were never reflective of my identity at all. It was Mm. always like um, my parents were very much like, you know, clothes are just fully utilitarian. Like you just wear them for 
to kind of compliment the day like you wear right. stay suit. warm or stay cool or whatever yeah 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 they weren't into like brand names or anything it was like you know just a nice pair of elastic waisted jeans perfect <laughs> just horrendous <laughs> things I don't even know I think it was just fully like whatever is useful and, and I mean I get it we grow so quickly um but I do remember always being like I don't like these clothes like I'm just wearing you know what what I wear except I will say that I'm just I'm remembering this now that when I was about 13 my auntie went overseas and she she knew how much I liked glittery things and she bought me like the, the, this like rainbow sequin thing was really happening and she got me like the rainbow sequin shoes the vest <gasps> the bum bag the cap and I was like I remember wearing all like the whole look um just <laughs> out probably with my elastic waisted jeans looking <laughs> at just five stars <laughs> and I would just wear that to death absolutely I think I even had like a tiny little like coin purse handbag that was also in the sequined um, fabric so anything that was like that that I could get my hands on I was super keen on but it was kind of a little bit of a rarity I guess um I would get those sort of things maybe for birthdays and stuff but otherwise it would just be like you know wearing clothes to bum around in and stuff but I always remember growing up having these like crazy like visions of being a fairy I was obsessed with fairies and I remember like from like when I was about five I would sing about being a fairy literally at night and my sister would come in and tell me to shut up <laughs> but I was always just waiting for this day when I was going to transform into being a fairy like I was so convinced that at like when I grew up, that's why everyone was so excited about growing up because you would transform into whatever you wanted to be. And for me, that was a fairy. And when it, when I found out that wasn't going to happen, I remember being quite crushed. And um, I uh, think it but, has happened, FYI. I mean, <laughs> now that you know, now that I think about, it, I'm like, hey, this this is all it's all come to be. <laughs> Uh, because, uh, yeah, I was just uh, like obsessed with anything like that. And as much as I didn't have like heaps of like crazy clothes necessarily, I definitely like had so many books on fairies and, and would draw them and, and like, and, uh, just collect anything that gave me that sparkly feeling. Um, and I mentioned earlier that I would like stuff materials and stuff into my smock pockets. And I have to say that I was a little bit steely as a child and um would oh my uh, like, gosh just anything. like a magpie <laughs> I mean it's so much like a magpie I, I should tell you then that I um again when I was in probably in about year two um this I remember this girl had this leaf that she had painted with glittery nail polish uh oh I, I don't like, like where this is going Rachel yeah, I don't I like, like where this is going <laughs> I know. Can, can you guess that I was like, this leaf must be mine. And I didn't think that anyone would notice it because I was like, it's just a leaf with nail polish. When we, when we drill it down, it's just a leaf. But I was like, this leaf must be mine. And I remember creeping in to the classroom at morning tea and like swiping it, then trotting into the out of bounds area and hiding it in this tree, which then over the course of the next month, I continued to just add little things that I'd stolen from the like classroom, like, you know, um, oh, God, even like sports equipment and weird stuff and hide it in the out of bounds tree. And then eventually my sister came, like she was an out of bounds officer and I was so little, like yeah, year two. She caught me in the act of snap, like 
putting stickers in my cave uh, and uh, publicly shamed me in front of my class. <laughs> and that was the end of my little hideaway tree. But it like, I feel like that shows like, I was just like a child possessed with like having these things that were a little bit forbidden in my household, but like finding a way to like ha have them and like keep them as my little weird secret. Such strange mm. behavior looking back. <laughs> that might be my most favorite story ever. <laughs> You are like, I keep picturing like a little magpie fairy who's just like yeah. stealing. Oh my gosh. Did the girl get yeah. mad about the leaf or did she not notice? Oh yeah. No, I actually did get in trouble. I think that um, the leaf went missing and they were like, where, where did the leaf go? And they must've thought like, obviously someone's taken it. And actually my teacher, I thought that I was really sneaky and that no one would suspect me, but she called my mom and my mom was like, <laughs> Rachel would never, she would never. Um, she, she just thought I was a sweet angel, but then she, she did eventually track, the, I think I must've brought it home because she tracked the leaf down in this little like wind up jewelry box that I had, you know, with the ballerina yeah. in it. Yeah. Uh, and she, I, I definitely got into a bit of trouble because she was like, you know, stealing's not okay. Uh, and then <laughs> the best thing though was that the day that my sister came and announced to the class that I had been stealing stuff, which is outrageous looking back <laughs> on it, um, that there was a substitute teacher. So, um, Score. so she didn't call my mom. Um, otherwise I reckon if, um, she had, I would have gotten in big trouble. I am fast forwarding a little bit here, but it's so strange that years later, so I moved schools after this. I just don't know why, but <laughs> <laughs> I moved schools and years later it was St. Margaret's in, in Berwick in Melbourne. I met this girl who was in the year below me who also went to St. Margaret's. And she said that weirdly the year that she was there, the policy on like sports equipment and the out-of-bounds area and all this stuff totally changed and she thinks it was because of my little hideaway <laughs> steely spot that I had and I was like that is crazy <laughs> you so, left yeah. your mark yeah truly truly <laughs> oh my God. that is I feel like we could be done now and that would be one of the best podcasts ever that the all of the pictures in my mind that should be a short film yeah, yeah. Oh I mean, God. I mean, give give us some time, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think give give Wes Anderson a crack at that. I think he'd be all over that. Oh my, God, oh my word. Um, okay, so all the way through, did you have to wear a uniform all the way through high school and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was just like so, so many different because I actually moved schools quite a bit, so I had um I had different uniforms, and I feel like they got progressively uglier. Actually, uh, I think it's a real um, Australian thing wearing school uniforms. I think most schools um, have them, so it's it's. I feel like I watch a lot of uh, yeah all the American shows and things that I watch. Uh, everyone's trotting around in free clothes, and if we ever had a free clothes day, it was like the most exciting thing. Um, you know, <laughs> and you're never my, allowed to I'd like pull out my sequin tuxedo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're never allowed to like bedazzle the uniform, right? Like it has to be as is. No, no, no. And if you, if anything is like in disarray or if you try and customize your uniform, you get in big trouble. Even your hair and everything, it has to be like natural. Um, I remember at my school, you weren't allowed to color your hair or wear any kind of makeup or anything. Um, oh dear. Yeah. Just, just au natural. <laughs> so when you graduated, did you like explode like fireworks? Were you like, let's do this? 
Well, um, not really straight away, to be honest. Like in, in my final year in high school, I definitely think I started for the first time experimenting a little bit with making wearable art for some of my art projects, but it was still very much things that I was making on a mannequin. Um, I, it was like unfathomable to me to even wear them. By that point in high school, I think I had... Um, kind of gone into my shell a little bit. I was um, in terms of like wearing crazy things. I think, I don't know, maybe it's all those years of wearing a school uniform and yeah. being just like everyone else and kind of wanting to fit in a little bit through high school. Um, I definitely uh, was no longer wearing any, no more um, sequin twin sets for me. Uh, and in Brisbane, it's so hot. So it was always just like a shorts and t-shirts kind of affair. Um, and I was super, super into performing by the time I left high school. Um, I, I loved doing art, but I was obsessed with musical theatre. Um, mm. And that was where some of my love with wearables actually came from was uh, I was maybe fan from the opera's number one fan and was just obsessed with all the costumes in mm. that and uh, would try and kind of like recreate little aspects and things. And that's kind of what I focused on in some of my art classes was translating the kind of things that I loved about those costumes, but putting some meaning into what I was making, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Uh, so so were, you, left, were you at art school or did you go for theater? No, I was just at a normal, like the most normal high school, but I just oh. started doing some musical theater and stuff like that. But then when I left high school, um, my parents very, as much as they were like, yeah, be creative or be academic. They were like, once you get into the real world, uh, you need to get a real job. And they definitely like bought into the starving artist stereotype. And like I said, no one in my family had ever done anything creative. So it was like, you be a lawyer, you be a doctor, you be a teacher. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I can see how maybe going into teaching might give me some freedom to at least take some subjects that are about uh, performing. At that time, I was, I had talked to my art teacher in high school to be like, what, what does a career in art look like? And she was like, babe, just be an actor. Like <laughs> she was like, she was a painter, I think. And she was super supportive, but she was like, you know, wearable art and this sort of thing. I don't, I don't know where you're going to take it. Um, if you love performing, maybe give that a go. And so I was like, oh, my parents are not stoked on, on acting and stuff like that, but maybe I could take that advice and at least do some drama subjects when I, when I do my teaching degree. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I will say, I, I remember feeling super unenthused about going into teaching as much as I think that it like, that's the, it's an amazing job for people who can do it. It's, it's so, so incredible to people who can be teachers, but I just never felt an affinity for it. It was definitely a little bit of parental pleasing thing. Like, okay, I think this is um, uh, the lesser of the evils <laughs> of what, what I think is going to be supportive. I'll go into teaching, which is what, what I did. And, um, but I was kind of true to myself and uh, sought out the the university theatre group that was there and um, ended up becoming president of it. <laughs> Type oh, A character, wow. right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, just getting, starting to do heaps of shows around Brisbane. Um, and, and at the same time as this, I, I always kept like visual diaries and like have been a, 
a diary writer and like drawer throughout this whole sort of time. But it was always like just a little bit of a hobby. Like I was like, oh, this is just something that I'm doing for fun. Uh, and then I started making a lot of the costumes for the shows that I was doing at university. Um, and eventually I kind of technically went to art school, but it was for musical theatre because I went to the Victorian College of the Arts in Melbourne. Mm. I ended up auditioning for that and I got in, which was a bit of a surprise to me because I'm, I'm not even playing it down, but I'm a terrible dancer. Um, a family not into extracurriculars. So even though growing up, I was like, please, can I do tap and, you know, ballet and stuff? They're like, no, like, where's that going to lead? Like, I remember my mom, like, allowing me to do a little bit of tap, but she would put a tea towel down on the floor. <laughs> and so I could never hear my tippity-tappity feet. <laughs> and I was like, this is not going to work. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, the whole but, point. Yeah, absolutely. It's tap dancing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I felt like kind of behind in that way, but I, I managed to get into the course because um, I, I think, yeah, at the time I was like, had some good acting and singing chops behind me. And, uh, but getting into that course, it was a real rude awakening because I was side by side with kids that had been dancing since, I feel like since they were born, like full <laughs> prima ballerinas and just, uh, I was super out of my depth. But going to that school was like such a huge um, learning curve for me because that was the first time I ever had exposure to people who were studying fine art um, mm. because we would come together each week in a class there. It was like a multidisciplinary thing where people from all disciplines would come together and kind of like connect and chat and do projects together it was a really cool class but I was looking at them yeah I was looking at them with their visual diaries and they'd often have little sculptures or okay this is a great story from one of the classes this girl would carry around don't don't tell me that you started stealing from people I don't want to hear that no 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 the stealing had stopped okay Uh, good but (laughs) that wouldn't be it wouldn't be cute anymore uh, when I was 20 no it's Um, a felony yeah 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 absolutely um but this girl had this pot plant and um, uh, when I like went to say hi to her, she was like, please say hello to the pot plant first. It was an extension of my social self. And I was like, okay, we're in, uh, we're in an arty space. <laughs> uh, so it was my first like, yeah, exposure to, to this kind of like um, world where people were studying things like that and just being so themselves and being quite eccentric and that just being not only normal but like celebrated and um over the course of the year I remember just feeling like quite jealous of what they were doing and just being like oh I like and also I I was first time in my life because I had been quite academic through high school um and also through my education degree I'd done quite well and this was the first time I was actually like doing quite badly in in my degree like and I started just like not wanting to show up for class um I didn't I you know there was so much dancing and it would be like you know pirouette across the giant room um in oh, front of all your yeah in front of all your friends in like full like bodycon leotard you know um and just and also being really bad like I knew I was bad and because it was so focused on dancing and I was used to like maybe showing off at least with the singing and stuff and there wasn't that much of it um I just felt like there was no way to prove that I was um like good or anything and mm-hmm. I yeah, just really um felt felt bad and then when it got to the end of the, my first year I sat down with my um, teachers and I remember saying to them being like do you do you think I can do this do you think like I, I can kind of make it and I remember them being like oh 
with the dancing, if anything, you've gotten worse. Oh my God. And I was like, I know. <laughs> and and I, and I, that was like crushing though. Cause I, I think at that time I really wanted some encouragement. Like I was asking them like, can, can I do this? Thinking they were actually going to say to me, yes, of course you can do this. You can make it. But, um, Oh. They were kind, I was looking at their faces and their faces were saying no. And I remember I was just had been up until that point so defined by being like the musical theatre kid and, and being this, this performer. And it had been such a mission to get to the school, like even convincing my parents to, to like change out of my education degree and move into this theatre course uh, was such a mission. And I knew at that moment, I was like, I, I like, I can't do this. I, I need to quit if they don't think I can make it. And I think I don't think I want I even want to do it, then um I, I need to I need to go. Um and uh I think that 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 was like a really a really tough, a really tough time because um I ended up coming back to Brisbane and um kind of having some tough conversations with myself as to whether I I wanted to pursue it ongoing and do the rest of the two there would be another two years of the degree after that uh and I decided to kind of just cut my losses and and quit which I looking back on I'm like how why did like I can't believe I actually did that because it like I said it was such a mission to get in mm-hmm. um and at that point I sat down and was really like what like if if this is not going to be my passion and the thing that I'm pursuing anymore, what what is going to be that? Like I feel like I am quite a passionate and driven person, and suddenly like not having a goal to get to Broadway, yeah, <laughs> I was like, what what am I going to do? And and uh, that's that's when the first sort of thing popped into my mind of um, being like maybe maybe I could make some things. Um, that was the only other thing that I kind of connected back with as being something that uh, would maybe fill that void. Um, but I still didn't go to art school after that. I went and studied writing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So I've actually like stopped and started, like, I think it's four or five different degrees. I got a huge hex debt, which is in Australia, yeah, the, um, you know, university debt yeah. and um, never actually got a degree because then I left my writing degree six months after um, I started it. I can't believe I quit so many things. I'm really <laughs> not a quitter, but I just remember <laughs> trying to navigate that time being like um, just so actually unsure about what you could actually do. Like even with art, I, I looked into that a little bit and saw that you need like a big portfolio. And I was like, oh gosh, I don't really have like, cause I had been doing so much performing. I felt like I didn't have or know what my style was yet or anything. And, and so writing was like something that I thought I had been doing with songwriting and, and um, a little bit um, you know, I had, this is so funny. I had really been into writing growing up and I'd written a small novel and it was ridiculous, um, about, uh, you know, a, a magical stone as it would be. And so I was like, I like writing. I'll do that. <laughs> uh, but ended up quitting when I heard about blogs and I was like, I really like this idea of blogging. Um, that's all I needed to know. I got my university degrees worth. I'll be off and went and started a blog about making clothes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Is that how this all started for you? Yes. Yes. So, um, that, that, that was totally like the beginning of this journey. That was, it'll be 10 years, um, next year from, from that point 
Wow. Uh, so yeah, I had a great teacher in that writing degree. His name is Ben Law and he's gone on to do amazing things. And uh, first time he was kind of talking about how you could write and you could start your own project just about your own life. Like you didn't necessarily need to have done anything super incredible or just like you as an individual and your story could be enough. Um, and I, I really, I really, there's something about it just resonated with me. I think with theatre, there had been so many gatekeepers to creativity. Like you could only do the role if the director gave you that chance and mm. you could only do it if you could sing this specific range or if you looked a certain way, then you could have the, the romantic lead. I just felt like, I think that was one of the big problems I had in the end with um, musical theatre is that I felt like actually there were so many constraints to being creative. So when I I heard this guy being like, you can actually just be an individual and literally write your own story. I was like, that's all I need. I'll be off. I'm going to go do that. Um, and so um, I started this blog called I Make You Wear It. Always love a catchy little pun title. Um, and I started making clothes on my friends and trying to do it in like a really short amount of time. And then I would blog about it and like raise money for charity at the same time. And through that, I ended up going to do a big project, um, which was I Make My Day, where I made a dress a day for a year and then raised a whole bunch of money for charity. And it was kind of the first time that I had actually then started and completed a project. I hadn't dropped out of it. I hadn't quit. And, uh, and through that process, particularly the dress a day project, I ended up coming up with an aesthetic of my own really through you know forced to come up with something every single day I started to really you know be sketching and and drawing and and executing a design every day by the end of it I had kind of carved out my own style and this affinity for all the things that I really loved like sequins and pom-poms and everything just like kind of came together and um I kind of worked it out yeah. That is so great. And so what were your parents thinking during all of this? Okay. Initially it was not good. <laughs> <laughs> so when I told them I was dropping out of the writing degree, that was like, uh, we, I remember we got into a big argument, me and my mom. She was just like, like, I don't understand. You want to be an actor. You want to be, um, uh, you know, X, Y, Z, like what you want to be a teacher. You want to be a writer. And now you want to be a designer, like slash uh, artist. Like I, I don't, um, yeah, I, and I understand that. I get it. Like she, I think she was coming from the point of view that she was never allowed to pursue her studies growing up. Like she got pulled out of school in year 10, even though she had like scholarships and everything and wasn't allowed to be academic. So she had been like, when, you know, my daughters are going to have careers and they're going to be independent. And I think she thought that I was just kind of throwing that all away. Mm. Um, and she, I think she thought I like, I know she thought I was delusional. <laughs> she was like you don't know how to sew like you're you you don't have the skills I don't understand how you're just gonna do this but I, I was I was like blindly confident I was like no like I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna work it out and this this is it and I think I was so determined because I was like there's nothing else like like it's either this or I'm just gonna get like a it's just gonna be a, a day job I don't yeah. know because this so I I internally was like no no like I'm going to do it. And I managed to convince them. And whilst they didn't let me make stuff in the house, mum gave me the garage to work in. <laughs> Still no craft materials allowed inside. Um, and so I just worked away after that big tipping point where like we had that big fight, it, it kind of chilled out after then, you know, mum would bring me out little trays of food and 
Wow. And I would literally sew all day and and often very much like now deep into the night and um and through the course of that year of of making a dress a day I ended up getting a, a really good amount of interest and I ended up setting up a little brand and by the end of that year was then kind of transitioned into selling my brand into little boutique stores. And, wow. And so on and so forth. Yeah. I was just so, going to ask, so did you, so did you start in 2009, 2010 kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it might've been, I think the dress a day. So it was 2010. I kind of started the blog and then 2011, I did the dress a day project. Okay. So, and so yeah. did you, did you find like suddenly you were getting readers and followers? Like did, did it go from like nothing to, oh my gosh, there's lots of people paying yeah, attention. Absolutely. And yeah. I think I kind of got a little bit hooked to that as well. I was like, oh my gosh, like it started from absolutely nothing. Like yes. me just posting every day, posting images and, and nothing really happened. And then, and then over time, like some newspapers did some stories, end up going on TV. Like, I think it was that time where like 365 projects were having a little bit of a moment as mm-hmm. well. And, um, so and blogs too. And yeah, blogs. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that it was a little bit of the the right time as well. And and um, I think because it was a good cause as well, because I, I raised money for Starlight Foundation here. And uh, so so there was some meaning about it. And that really kept me motivated as well, being like, okay, I'm trying to do this for, for a good cause, something that's not all about me for once. But also I am like getting to explore um, something new and get a lot of positive feedback, which I think I really needed at that time too. When I quit VCA, I felt really down on myself. And so having people actually starting to get like excited about the designs and things, it was super encouraging. And, um, and it just, it gave me that sense of validation that I was on the right track. Uh, and yeah. And then, and then I guess it, um, did kind of like just blow up for me like a little bit with that at that time and gave me then um, some little lucky breaks to um, to rise to the occasion with, and actually, when I, you know, when a when a boutique got in touch with me and was like, "Oh, can you send me your lookbook?" I would be googling lookbook and see what that meant, and then and I'd be like, "Yes, of course." And they'd be like, "Can you send through your, you know, your line sheet of pricing?" I'd be like, googling what a line sheet was. Like it was all just mad dash. And I remember selling uh, the first like proper collection I did for my little label I had back then, Yellow Cake. I remember one of my favorite boutiques in Brisbane got in touch with me to come and show the collection. And, and then I did, and, and they bought the whole thing. And I was so excited. You would, I think you would have really liked some of the pieces in this. They were like these dresses with these big pom-poms on them and, and like gem encrusted things. Oh yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And each thing had taken me, like each piece had taken me hours and hours and days to make. And I was super excited because they bought the collection, but then all the orders started rolling in from like the other boutiques that it was a franchise. So all the other people would then place an order for the, for my pieces. And they'd be like, you know, what was fairly small orders to them, like 30 units of you know, pom-pom dress or whatever, um, I then had to make. (laughs) I was going to ask, like they're asking for line items and now you have to make it in your garage. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it has been, it was such a like, um, baptism of fire for production 
fashion. And at that time, again, I knew nothing about the fashion industry. So assumed that all brands did this, like people with like small <laughs> labels just made all the clothes themselves. So I was like, gosh, I'm just working hard. I'm just a designer working it out in my garage, sewing to like 4am. Uh, but you know, I got it done. And um, after that, I remember just being like, whoa, I'm going to take a little break on that. But I was lucky because then the... Um, the brand actually hired me as their internal designer. Um, and then that, that then led me kind of super accidentally into the world of kind of fast fashion, because that's when I very quickly learned that people actually didn't just sew in their garage and make things, <laughs> they outsource them to China um, and, and get them produced there. And that was the beginning of a long road to becoming as my day job, a women's wear designer um, and getting very entrenched in that industry. And then realizing that I definitely didn't want to be in that industry. It's like, once I learned everything about it, I was like, it's time to go. Yeah, no, this is, this is not the right space, but uh, it was, it was a great, great space to learn in at the same time. How long did you do that for? Uh, I did that for seven years. Oh my gosh. uh, Yeah. And so were you so busy? Like, did you have time to be doing your own thing or were you just work, work, work? Yeah, well, uh, um, definitely made time to do my own thing because um, after working for this this brand for two years, I then got approached by another much bigger retailer here in Brisbane to come on board and start their um, in-house brands. It was it was so, such a funny time because like accidentally I had learned how to do you know, how to start a brand because I yeah. started my own. So uh, then I, I got hired to do it for this other place. Um, and they were kind of like the next level, I guess. So I really learned everything about what was involved with getting things made on mass. Um, and I really quickly, at least with the first boutique, it was very much my style because it was very feminine and very roughly and crazy and I was still able to do that but this new place was a a youth retailer um they're called universal store here um and it was very much about like you know creating things for a customer and it had nothing to do with my personal sense of style Mm. um and I was like gosh I, I could just keep going down this road and and I guess stay here forever if I wanted to but I was like absolutely not I need to I've Firstly, I've put so much work into coming up with this aesthetic. Um, I need to keep something alive at at home. And so I started, that's when I started making things just for fun um, and photographing them on the weekends and making, I started making heaps of pom-poms and that turned into a big project of its own. Um, and, And just like then again, I started just getting super addicted to the stuff that I would make at night and and over the course of the years that I was at Universal Store I remember just I would go on these long walks at lunch and just be dreaming up all these ideas um, and doing heaps of research and photographing things on the weekend and just um, getting super kind of lost in my own little world any time that I was outside of the office um, I was fully in this kind of world that I was creating um, and I clearly didn't have a kid back then because <laughs> I was definitely using all that time and, uh, seems like I had a lot of it back then. Yeah. Doesn't it? As soon as you have a baby, you're like, wow, I had a lot of time to myself. Oh my God. Absolutely. I'm like, <laughs> what did I even do with all that time? I mean, I look, I did do a fair thing, a fair few things, <laughs> Yeah, but, I know. but gosh, yeah. I'm like, gosh, I used to get a lot of snacks. I'd have a lot of brunches beforehand, <laughs> but that's just, uh, not, not happening now. <laughs> no. Um, and so what were the things that you were making? Were you, was it like accessory things? Was it your tinsel coats? What were you starting to make when you were just doing your own fun things? 
Yeah, well, I would often just use, so I would like collect little materials as I was going along the way. Like I do a lot of op shopping and find like fun yarns or um, buy old Christmas decorations and things. I would, because it was just for fun as well. I, there were, there were no like um, real rules that, that I had to follow. So it was very much just about like experimenting and um, making the craziest things that I could. I should say the reason why I feel like I was also making really lavish things is because when I first, um, before I got my fashion world jobs, I was working full-time at Borders Bookshop. Do you, do you oh, remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so sad that no longer exists that place, but I, I worked there for a really long time. And that was my first kind of exposure to fancy editorial magazines like Lula Magazine and Frankie Magazine and um, things that were really actually visually articulating this kind of whimsical dreamy world that I dreamt that the things that I would make would inhabit Mm -hmm. um and I would pour over these magazines and have such a lush collection of these these mags now um and I was and there was one um German magazine called Material Girl that I noticed that in the photographs like it could be just the most mundane normal setting but the the model would be wearing something so lush and so textured and they were my favorite kind of shoots where it was like this this strange contrast between um the normal and the extraordinary and Mm. I I, when it came to actually making my own things years later um, and doing photographs and things like that I was like oh I want to make the most over-the-top outfit that I can with unusual materials and strange things to kind of create that image that I love um, and see see if I could do it so that that's what I would spend most weekends doing so I would I would make during the week at night and make like a like I'd made some tinsel dresses and I would cut up yarn and sew, sew them onto jackets and make fringing and rhinestone things and just anything that I thought could make like a really crazy outfit that I could then photograph in a really normal setting, like just in a, in a backyard or mm. in the street um, and uh, create, create something with that contrast. That, that was kind of what was inspiring me to do that. Also, I had some pretty hectic non-competes in my contract. So Mm. it wasn't like I was allowed to be making anything commercial either. And I definitely saw it as a little loophole internally. I was like, well, I can absolutely do what I love because (laughs) it's not competing in any way. It's not like they're going to be able to sell this, you know, crazy yarn dress. Um, (laughs) I'll be able to do that and I won't get in any trouble as well. (laughs) You know what's so funny about Frankie magazine? So I had never seen it like in Canada, you know, I hadn't ever seen it and this was in probably 2007 2008 so I think Frankie was quite new too and a friend of mine was Australian but she'd been living she married a Canadian and then they moved back to Australia and she sent me a Frankie and she said I think you are going to lose your mind with this magazine and I did I just um, and my baby was about one at yep. the time, one or two. So I was very much in that wearing yoga pants with, you know, spit up on me every day, yep. wishing for some artsy future, but not knowing at yes. all what it held. And I just remember um, I got a subscription and just like yes. couldn't wait for the next Frankie to come. And then when I started the Dell's mm-hmm. Curator in 2009, maybe mm-hmm. uh, February of 2009, I reached out to them. I used all Mm. of my courage and I emailed them and said, is there any way you might feature my blog in your Frank bits? Do you remember the Frank bits at the front of the, and they wrote me back and said, yes. And (gasps) 
my husband was in the other room and I was on the computer and I screamed and he was like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong? And I was like, Oh my God. I, that was like the first, like when you were saying, you know, when you did your dress a day and yes. suddenly magazines yeah. were reaching out. Frankie was my first like, Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's so crazy. Oh, I can see how that would have been such a deep honor. I was obsessed with Frankie. And it's funny. Um, So when I first started reaching out or like, you know, people were contacting me, Frankie had always been this like elusive thing that I was like, oh God, I would just love to work with them. I remember sending them, this is right back at the beginning too, uh, probably, yeah, like 2010, 2011, I sent them this pack, I think with like, you know, a CD-ROM of like all the images of my dresses and like just so like keen um and I actually didn't ever hear back and I remember being like oh I just want to work with them so bad I want them to notice me um and then years later so this is when I was working at Universal Store and I had been doing all these um photo shoots and I'd gotten published actually in that Material Girl magazine that oh. I, I had really liked um Frankie called me out of the blue and they were like hey um, we saw the editorial in this German magazine. Um, did, did you photograph that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. Like that, that's, that's my work. And they were like, would you think about styling our fashion editorials? And I was like, um, yes. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, this is so crazy. Or like, I had just like wanted to work with them in any capacity for so long and them just calling me out of the blue like that. And then that, that began like a very like ongoing relationship. We still, yeah, I saw that on your site. I saw that you have yeah. like a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, yeah, so, go on. yeah. I ended up for two years doing all their um, editorial. I, so I freelanced and did that see kind of semi secretly. I think my work knew I was doing it, but they turned a little <laughs> bit of a blind eye. Um, and I just was like, yeah, I'm just doing this thing. Don't, don't look too closely at it. Um, uh, and started, um, that was probably one of my first kind of like proper collaborations with like another, uh, uh, brand, I guess, if you could consider that or, um, mag yeah, cause they're a magazine, um, and started working with them to bring their aesthetic and match it with my vision. And I remember the first editorial that I did for them was this, um, lampshade one where I made and decorated all these, I think I actually upcycled all these vintage lampshades and like just added like things that made them look extra special, um, put over the heads of all these like fabulous outfits, this girl in this seventies house. And it was such a dream. It was so difficult I remember because I was just learning on the fly again I I remember photographing it all and then having to work out how to remove color casts and make it ready for print and just totally like learning on the fly but being so excited and just wanting to like prove myself to them because I I yeah I, I just I love their aesthetics so much and and they've been so wonderful to work with uh over the years so so yeah, that was a real dream come true, but yeah, just such a dreamy periodical. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's so inspiring, especially like for people like us who are attracted to that kind of thing. It's just like, yeah, yeah it's like a moth to a flame. It's just like, I, that, that I want yes. to do that. Um, that's so crazy. And so, um, basically, so from then on, were you just, so seven years and then you're like, no, no, okay, I'm going to go do this. You started doing all your own things. Mm. How... Because now you have worked with, like, the list of places you have collaborated with is crazy town. Yeah, I've been very, yeah, very lucky to work with. No, um, you, you're you not allowed to say that. 
My dad always, you know, you know what my dad always says. Very hard. Yes, that's right. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I believe that. And then it's about like, yeah, absolutely doing the work to then fulfill the luck, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I've, I've been able to work with some, some such great brands. And, but the thing that pivoted me out of the day job was actually the first like proper um, art project that I started that gave me an opportunity that I saw was going to give me some financial freedom um, aside from like, you know, just my day job salary. Um, And that was a project that I had worked on for quite a number of years um, while I was at Universal called Apomogee. it's uh, it was where I was making all these pom poms and then collecting the apologies of people from all around the world. Um, I had a website where people would submit them and then I would attach that to the pom pom. Uh, and I got an opportunity here in Brisbane to do a big installation of this work at a new gallery that was opening. And that was the first thing that I was like, you know what? I reckon I can go out on my own. And and by going out on my own, that then gave me the freedom to start working with some of these brands because I had been able to actually work with any brand brands while I was at my job I had asked them a couple of times when some people had come to me with some great um opportunities from you know um some some brands that I loved here but uh my work had started to say no to things I think that they saw that it was maybe growing uh and they they ended up sort of giving me a bit of an ultimatum of like do you want to stay here or do you want to make your own stuff. And I remember being like, it's time to go. Um, and then because I had this thing, I was like, uh, I feel a bit more secure to do that. Uh, so when I left, I worked on that project of doing this big installation and then it definitely freed me up to start doing some of these fun collaborations with brands. Um, what what year was that? Uh, gosh, that was actually quite recent. That was, um, I'm pretty sure it was 2017 that I think was the end of 2017 that I left so um started the new year out on my own wow Uh, and were you scared or were you just so ready to go Look, I was a mix of scared and excited. I remember I felt like I, I really did love my job. Like I had some really great friends and, and they were lovely. Like they, they presented an amazing opportunity for if I stayed, they were like, we can, you know, lure you with this um, amazing new opportunity if you stay, um, which was lovely. But I remember being like, you know, this, this is my life. Like if I don't make this change now, I don't know when I'm going to do it because I'll have to, I won't be able to achieve this big install because it was so much work, mm. um, making 2000 pom poms. Oh <laughs> and, um, I was like, so I will have to be turning that down if I, if I don't go ahead. Um, but, uh, it was difficult because it was a, like a big financial risk, I guess, to leave. But, um, yeah, I was like one, one chance. I'm going to go. And I I also had to remind myself that at that point and still like no one can take away my resume. Like if it is a complete bust, I can always like, I've still got a good relationship with them. Either maybe I could trot back or I could (laughs) get another job in if I really, really feel like I have to. Um, But I'm going to take this chance and and go for it. And that's such a good insight. I remember thinking that too, like it was a big decision to quit my, I worked in an ad mm. agency. It was a big decision to quit, but then I was like, well, hold on. I can get another job at another ad agency. Yeah. Yeah. It really does feel though at the time you're like, oh, like I'm never going to be, this is it. I'm never going to be able to, to get another job. But you're like, hang on. Yeah. No one can actually take away the experience. Yeah. That I yeah. Have. And it's worth taking so, yeah. that, you know, if you're at a point where you're, it's worth taking that jump 
take it knowing that, yeah, you can always, there are day jobs. There are day jobs. So I I, I think that's what people, you know, I know so many people listening right now, that's a huge thing, right? Is taking that leap. And I think Mm. because it's phrased like that, like making the jump, taking the leap, all these things, it's like, well, you're not jumping into an abyss. Like Mm. you can still go get another job at this, you know, give yourself a year or, you know, whatever it is. And there, yeah. there are safety and, nets. And I think that's what I ended up setting myself up as. I ended up setting it up so that it was a step as opposed to a leap because yeah. I absolutely could have left my job so much earlier and, you know, um, done it a bit more tough and, uh, and you know, maybe had more sleep, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, more freedom or something during the day. But I really was like, I don't want my work to necessarily suffer under the pressure of having to make all this money when I, it's not ready. It's not there yet. Yeah. Um, so why not, um, happily do my day job? Um, even though not always so happily, like it was often challenging to be like, Oh, I just want to go home and make this idea. But it was like, <laughs> no, like this is then paying for the materials or paying for the time. Um, and just really using my day job to facilitate uh, the, the things I was super passionate about. And so then when it actually came to leaving, I, d- I definitely felt scared because it felt like a big life change. But I um, I also felt scared more so of like disappointing my job and the people that I liked as opposed to um, anything else as well. But overcoming that and actually facing the fear and being like, who would I rather disappoint, myself or, or my job? Like just just make, make the choice, make the change. And, um, it ended up being the best thing I ever did, but I definitely waited till I felt uh, a little bit financially ready. Cause I, um, yeah, that's smart. That's just smart like that. Yeah. yeah. And that way it felt like more of a step than a leap. And I felt, I felt good about it, but all for having a day job, like even when I worked at borders, it was like, yeah. Um, just to facilitate then going and able to be creative on the side. Like there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, when I was a creative director at an ad agency, I would, um, my computer faced away from my door. And so I'd be working on my own little art projects, like making plans and researching stuff. And yes. then people would come in and I have to quickly change screens. Yeah. Minimize, minimize, minimize. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully none of them listen to this podcast. Sorry, you guys. Yeah, um, I know. But I, I was just that. dying. Was <laughs> yeah, I was just dying to go home and make yeah. the stuff I wanted to make. Yeah. I need to tell you, this is funny, but it's a bit weird. But um, I remember at the end, the thing that really clinched it for me, I was on one of my lunchtime walks at my office and I saw a spider making this beautiful web and I felt like envious of the spider. (laughs) I was like, look at that spider getting to do what it loves. And I was like, it's time to go. (laughs) I've completely lost it. I have lost it. I must go and pursue my dreams and make my own web. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. See, that could play into the, into the short film too. We've gone from magpies. Oh, a lingering and- scene on a web. We do. Yeah. <laughs> and scene. Uh, yeah. I love it. And, yeah. um, I love and it. so s- somewhere in there, so you're, you're doing your thing. Um, and now you have an 18 month old son. I know what timing I selected to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've really been making a lot of things, including a human. Yes. Um, <laughs> Who I've seen uh, covered in yeah. pom poms as well. 
Absolutely. I've got some excellent little snaps of him in like fun, fruity outfits. Um, (laughs) And and that's been fun. He's definitely not as into it now as when he was like maybe a few months ago. Uh, Not into just sitting still and letting me adorn him in things anymore. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's more into ripping them apart, (laughs) which is fine. Uh, More of an abstract approach. But yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's been a big adjustment to the schedule and like uh, has obviously meant that um, a whole new journey has been undergone as well. Yep. And so how did you feel with that? Was it, was it a little bit, because I know so many people have this moment of like, so excited to be having a baby, but then also like, oh, how am I going to do the things that I was doing? Like, how am I going to be that spider? Yes, I know. And I was so naive before. Oh, we all are, Rachel. We all are. (laughs) I was going to have. And look, it was like not an accident, but it was like a semi like surprise in terms of we had talked about wanting to have a baby and like we like gone for it. And we're like, okay, we're trying. And then I got this amazing opportunity in um, Palm Springs to be uh, to go and do the Alt Summit there. And oh, yeah. they were going to fly me over and do all this amazing stuff. I was going to get to do a big install and a talk and um, really be like a like a collaborator in that in that um festival or whatever they call it um and so uh tom and i were like oh look actually maybe let's like cool the jets on baby town um maybe we can even just wait another year or something so that we can even like i get a couple of just amazing opportunities have popped up like um do you know that netflix show next in fashion uh no but it sounds like i should watch it i mean it's a fun show i think you'd like it um but uh yeah that i got asked to think about being on that show and so i was like you know what um i'm gonna i'm gonna call the jets on baby town but i was already pregnant (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah so i didn't know there was like a like maybe like a couple of weeks there where i was deluding myself and making all these plans um and you know obviously like we were super excited we're like oh well like this is obviously what was always meant to happen Um, um, and this is what's happened. So we'll we'll go with the flow. So I, I couldn't fly to Palm Springs. I was about due like when that happened. Or oh my gosh. The end. Um, so, and I, I couldn't participate. The next in fashion was literally filming on my due date. And I was like, of course it is. Um, oh of course it gosh. is in LA. Um, so I was like, look, I'll just pick my battles from here on in. And I mean, that was also a good introduction into parenthood, uh, <laughs> you know, being flexible and changing your plans. Uh, and yeah, it's just definitely because I just work um, solo and um, I had a studio in Brisbane City here um, where I used to do a lot of workshops and a lot of things, but I, I ended up now just working from home because I, I don't drive. Not for long though, I've nearly gotten my license, <laughs> uh, but it just makes like traveling really hard, particularly when you have a baby. So um, yeah. I just work from home and literally work around the clock when he is asleep or um, with grandma on these two days um, and just get it done. But it, it's definitely been, I feel like I've like spent all those years of sewing in my garage, like training for this though. Yeah. And I will not be defeated. <laughs> you know, and the thing I say to so many people too, we were talking before we started recording is that, you know, my son's 14 and a half now. Mm. And it's like, where are you going now? Like, he's just always yeah. <laughs> busy, yeah. and, you know, and now I have all the time in the world. But when they're that age, especially like 18 months, they are mm. on the go, they're eating rocks, they're like, you know, yes. into everything. You feel like, well, I guess this is my life now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's just like, 
going with the flow and yeah. it's, all, it's also like I just you pick your battles too it's like I would rather like just work you know at night and not even bother trying to get anything done really when yeah when he's awake no. like yeah, I might be can. able to you know wrap one strand of wool around something <laughs> And then all the time you're frustrated, right? And you don't want to, you don't want to miss out on this time with him because it is fleeting. Like they change week by week. Like so many things are happening before you know it, he'll be telling you stories and then he's off to kindergarten. And then suddenly like, you know, I I was saying to my husband, Charlie's four years away from leaving for college. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I need to develop a plan so that I can deal with that. So I've decided this is the first time I've ever, you know, here's the big news for you, Rachel. Mm-hmm. I've decided to become a crazy dog lady. Oh my God. I love this for you. Right. How and many so, wieners are you going to get? <laughs> I think like five to start. Excellent. I love And then that. like work my way up to like a dozen. Perfect. A yeah. perfect dozen. I love yeah. that. I think and then I won't have time idea. to realize that my baby has left me. Yes. And you'll be so busy in wiener dogs that like, uh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. I love that for you. I mean, (laughs) I feel like that's a great plan. I think it's going to work out. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I've been thinking about it. I've been brainstorming and um, I think I've nailed it. And that was so funny when, um, when we were messaging after I wrote about you the other day and you have a little wiener named Daisy. I do. And she is the light of my life. Isn't there just something about these little sausages that is just, they are so sassy and they've got so much personality and they think that they are these big dogs. And I just, I am (laughs) truly obsessed. Yeah. She's she's just a sweet angel. So I can only imagine that 12, 12 sweet angels. What a beautiful thing. I I reckon Charlie's going to be keen. (laughs) See, he'll probably run home from university to be part of that and then he'll want to live next door and help me with all the dogs and it'll be great totally totally oh my goodness and then you can build some kind of sled and they can run him back to uni when oh my god I was I was telling him this this plan the other day picture a 14 year old's face just completely deadpan yeah just staring at me like mom has officially lost her mind I was like look The thought of you leaving is, makes me panic. So I said, I, yes. I'm a planner. I need a plan. This is now it. Oh my God. I, I love the deadpan reaction. That's so funny. <laughs> so I'm going to need, this is just like to give, so we've got about four years. I'm going to need, um, was Daisy in a pom-pom coat or a tinsel coat? Uh, she was in a tinsel, but I mean, she has been in a pom-pom coat as well, but that was her tinsel. She, you're going to need 12 tinsel jackets. Yeah, I am. Oh, 13, yeah. one for me. 13, true. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What a gang you'll make. Oh, wow. That would be <laughs> like little the pom-pom leashes. Photo. Yeah, we, yeah, we can yeah. just wander around the town and I'm sure everyone will think I'm fine and everything's normal and okay. Yep. Amazing. They'll think you're doing, you're thriving actually. Thank you. Yes. Thriving. I think that's the word the police will probably use. Um, So I had to cover that you have a a sausage dog too, because it's just important and it shows that you're a really good person. It's key. I think so too. Um, I wanted to quickly talk about your Lego collaboration because that was the coolest thing. 
Oh, look, that was that was really fun. Um, they've got these. Um, have you seen them? They're the new. Kind I just of well, like- I saw them because of you, and then yeah. um, there was a commercial on TV the other day for them, and. Mm-hmm we like to play a game of what is this commercial for? And yeah. so my son's like old Navy, like trying to guess. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's Lego. And he's like, what are yeah. you talking about? I'm like, it's Lego. I know this is Lego. And at the end it said Lego. And he was like, how, how did you know that? And I said, Rachel Burke. Yeah. Yeah. In the know. Yeah. You are in the know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that. Um, you can do all the surface design with them and that's what um, was most fun to like play around with them. And so we, uh, worked together. I ended up filming a whole bunch of like DIY videos, kind of using their new Lego, um, and making all these fun activities that kind of kids and adults, if they desire, could do. Um, and then on my own, I also then just like, I had so much excess that I was like, I'm going to play around. And I started like covering some furniture and like doing all these fun things. Uh, but that was a really fun collaboration. Uh, and yeah, total pitch. Wh- when was that? Was, was yeah. Hugo, he was already born. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It has like, that's been one thing since he's born. Um, I keep saying to myself, all right, now I'm going to take a little break. Now I'm going to take a little break. But then all these amazing things pop up that I can't say no to, like Disney. How do you say no to Disney? You can't say no to them. Um, and so, I'm like, okay, so, uh, so what, what was that about? Uh, so that one was for the 30th anniversary of The Little Mermaid. And that one literally happened. That came about six weeks after Hugo was born. Oh um, and yeah, again, it was just such an amazing opportunity, um, but was a, a really great uh, starter into what has been just working when I can and making it happen. Because I was like, oh, I just can't let this opportunity slide by. Um, not only do I want to do what they ask, but I want to like go above and beyond. But I also want to cherish the time with the baby. <laughs> How do I do that? It's working at night <laughs> and right. it's working when um, he's asleep. So, uh, so that I ended up doing like a 10 piece collection, just inspired by the story of the Little Mermaid. And then um, doing a big installation at Hamer Hall in Melbourne and putting together like a big, um, we did a big video and a big activation, uh, all celebrating The Little Mermaid. And that was such a dream come true uh, because when, when did these things happen? But I was like, classic, of course, it's going to happen around this time. But um, <laughs> yeah, and ever since then, I feel like I've kind of just like popped into each new thing. As soon as one thing wraps up, um, there, some other good opportunity will come up and I, I can't turn it down. Um, no. And why? Like, I yeah. Like I can't. yeah. Well, it's so nice um, that you've got your mom like to support, you know, to be there. And I'm sure she loves her Hugo time. Absolutely. I'm like so fortunate. She lives literally up the road from me. Uh, so, um, that's been wonderful. And it's so great to have, um, family support from, from that angle as well. Mm. I feel like, um, it, it t- taps into as well. Like, I'm like, you are the only one I trust with him as well. Yeah. So it's like, um, it, it makes me feel good to see them have such a beautiful bond and connection as well. Um, so she's been super helpful. And I mean, this time of COVID has had some silver linings as well. And that my partner has been able to work from home, which, um, would never have it because he, he's a lawyer. So it was always previously in the office. And it's meant that the basically entire time, um, that Hugo's been growing up, he's been able to be here and occasionally um you know support me and help me if um if I need him to hold Hugo for a little bit or um something like that it's very much uh, a team effort um and I'm only able to make everything that 
I'm able to make possible because I'm so um, wonderfully supported Mm -hmm. um, by my fam. Uh, well, yeah. you know, and so many people say too, like people I've had on the podcast that, that um, either have little kids now or have already had, you know, their kids are grown up. They always say it's so funny, like what we were talking about, about all that ridiculous excess time before having a baby that mm. you're like, what did I do with all that time? And when you become a mom, it's sort of like, you become so ridiculously efficient so efficient. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> like there's absolutely. no messing around. There's no like stopping yeah. to make a cup of tea and to do this or to do that. Mm. You're like, okay, I've got an hour and a half. Yeah. And I feel like it forces you to become much more ruthless with what, with what you take on as well. Yeah. Like now, as much as I say, oh, I can't say no to opportunities. Um, it's not, that's not entirely true. Like I'm much better now since I've had Hugo of saying no to things like, and saying no to even like, you know, like hangouts that I don't want to go to or something. I'm like, oh, look, I, I would rather like, you know, either like, yes, yeah, spend the time with Hugo if I need to do that or um, I'm, I'm no longer doing or like a collaboration that maybe once I would have felt like obligated to do or something. But now I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to do it. It needs to be something that is worth all the juggling that's going to happen behind yeah. the scenes. Uh, to make it possible. Um, So it's kind of cut out a little bit of that people pleasing just by necessity as well. And the more you do that, I feel like the more confident you get in yourself of being like, oh, no, I'm happy with this choice I'm making. Um, It's the right choice. I'm I'm just going to do that. And I'm not going to over explain it either. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I know. I remember just saying yes to everything. Yes. Um, Yes. I think it's also like being a Canadian woman where I felt you know, mm. <laughs> so polite that I can't say no to anybody. And yeah, it was really nice to hit a point where I was like, you know what? No, I can't mm. um, do all of this all the time and yeah. be able to give to my family and to the work that I want to be doing and to my own art practice and all these things. Like, yeah, sometimes you have to say no. And then yeah. for the things that are super, super worth it, you say yes and you don't sleep for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Or even I feel like saying no comes in handy too, to just be like, oh, you know what? Saying no to that thing is just going to mean that I'm not like exhausted. Like I'm going to actually look out for myself and be like, you know what? I am, maybe it's going to be worthwhile if I just, that means I'm going to have a chill day to say no. Um, That, that is important too. Like looking out for yourself and, and, and also assessing where your limits are as well, even though I'm not so good at doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Are you, are you still in your thirties? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm 32 now. Yep. <laughs> well, see, there you go. So when you hit 40, just wait till all the things you say no to. It's awesome. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So I wanted to ask if you, I mean, I was like, should I check her Instagram right before we hop on? Because I'm like, is there another collaboration I don't even know about? Um, what's going on right now? Are you allowed to talk about anything that's going on right now? Is there uh, stuff coming up? Look, I think by the time this, this probably, I think I can mention this. I'm just going to, I'm not going to mention what I'm doing, but I'm just about to start doing some fun stuff with Barbie. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> It'll be God. fun. Um, but uh, other than that, I have the biggest thing going on for me right now is that I am about to do my first solo show in Sydney, which is super sad that I can't go to. I know I'm in the same boat as so many other people, but I'm pretty sad about it. <laughs> yeah. So what's in uh, that show? Uh, so that's my first proper show of like paintings and um, sculpture on canvas and uh, just sculpture on vessels. And, oh, um, my God. Yeah. That's a project. It's all about I used to, 
as you now know, I like to hoard a little bit. <laughs> and I used to hoard these like letters that we would send in class as a teenager. So, um, oh, they're filled with such juicy stuff, but I, I totally forgot about them. Like I, I just kept this like kindergarten lunch tin stuffed with all these letters um, and probably found them a few years ago when we moved house. And I was reading them and I was like, who are all these people? What is going on? Who am I in these letters as a character? Because I do not know what is going on. Um, and these letters have kind of acted as like stimulus for this for this show. Um, and it's a big kind of exploration of identity and friendship and all that sort of stuff. So uh, it's been a lot of work. I've been working on it for a year. Um, so I can't wait to see pictures of it, I guess. I know. I know. It's such a... Yeah. It's such a crazy time. I was just saying to a couple of friends the other day, like, won't it be awesome when we, when we look back and we're like, that was such a weird time. Remember when we all had to wear masks so we couldn't go anywhere? I can't wait until it's just like this weird distant memory. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't wait until it's in. It's a thing that happened. Yeah, um, me too. Until it's in yeah. the history books and it's like it's like the nineteen eighteen. You know, and it's just like oh, that twenty twenty. Remember? I can't wait. Like because yeah, yeah. it's just there's just so much like the, the, and I, like you said, like, you know, yes, we're disappointed about these things. I'm so happy that everyone I know is healthy yeah. so far. And I mean, the, the loss of life is insane. And, um, yeah. but you know, it, just the loss of, of experiencing things, um, yeah, has been it's big a, it's for people too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's, it's, um, obviously like not being able to go to things and stuff like that you're like oh like absolutely have some perspective and like so many people have been affected in so many ways but it's just um it's just such a strange time but I think that it will make us all hopefully so much more adaptable and um empathetic and all these things that um previously we just hadn't like experienced to this scale I guess yeah we just just took things for granted yeah yeah yeah. I know I'm very curious what life will be like afterwards and I plan to go to every art show ever Um, same thing because like my my kids book came out and I had this whole tour planned congratulations on that too um it looks amazing can't wait to get Hugo a copy (laughs) I will I should send you one because there's a section there's a page in it that lists um all of the art jobs (laughs) oh amazing that's for the parents that are reading the story who are telling you to become a lawyer and a doctor I was like I made sure I filled an entire page with possible job opportunities love that from you excellent okay cool I think we need to be package pals because I need to send you some treasures as well oh deal I yeah I need to send you 12 miniature jackets immediately (laughs) well you know you've got four years I'm gonna keep that in check until he leaves, because if he sees me doing that, it'll be oh, bad. true. Yeah, true, gotta keep, true. Gotta keep the crazy under wraps for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What else? Was, I was just going to ask you something else, um, Barbie. Um, oh, I just wanted to quickly ask you, like all these amazing things that are happening, are there brands that you have reached out to, or does this stuff sort of just show up in your inbox now that, you know, this tidal wave of, of tinsel and glitter and pom-poms are underway, people reach out to you or have you ever reached out to a brand you want to work with? Uh, Aside from your CD-ROM. Oh yeah, no, CD-ROM is very indicative of that time. I reached out (laughs) to 
everyone. I was like sending out my CD-ROMs and putting together packages. And you know what? Not that many people replied at that time, uh, particularly because it was like at the beginning before I'd even gotten very much media. Um, but I kind of worked backwards at that time and like looked at who Frankie was featuring and then looked at who featured the featured and stuff like that and tried to work out who might um, be interested in the work that I was doing. Uh, There was so much work involved at that time, but now I'm fortunate enough to have gotten to the point where I really don't um, reach out to brands. I feel like uh, I am very much like, it's not entirely the best metaphor, but it's like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So mm. it's, it's kind of like with Frankie, like I, my work pro- probably wasn't ready to be featured with them, but then when it was, they reached out to me. Right. Um, and, and I feel like if I sent an email maybe five years ago to Disney.com, they would have been like, yeah, nah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, when, I guess when, and, I, and that really motivates my work. Cause I'm like, if I just focus not on the, brand and spending time contacting people um, and and instead put that effort and that feeling into the work that I create and really produce the work that I want to then continue maybe developing with with a collaborator like I feel like there's just so much more use in that than than wasting time uh, trying to get someone that I feel like will appear if my work is ready or suitable Um, and and I've yeah been fortunate in that way to then they just contact me usually on my good advice would be check your dms because there's yeah. some um fun things that go through there like beyonce's stylist contacted me through dm once and i was like wow i'm glad i looked at that um did you and, do something uh, for her uh, i made some stuff for her daughter blue ivy oh, um i made um, yeah yeah some jackets and things um I, I never even saw them on or anything i don't even know what happened with them that was such a strange thing <laughs> But the internet. But yeah, I saw like Miley Cyrus and what? Yeah, again, just through my DM, her like I don't know, she must have an interior stylist. But he contacted me and was like, "Hey, Miley really wants this tinsel chair. Um, how can you get it to us?" Gosh, it's so funny too. Like that was such a huge operation shipping a chair. I thought I was like, "Yes, absolutely," and I'll cover shipping. And then the cost of shipping oh was God. literally the cost of the chair. These are the lessons that I've learned along the way. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it just comes through the DM or, or, um, usually most brands contact through email. Uh, and I just kind of then, um, I'm a bit pick, I'm well, not even a bit, I'm much pickier now and make sure that I just still work with brands that I feel like, um, resonates with, with me, um, and the work that I'm doing. And I feel like, okay, I'm not going to have to compromise my sensibility, um, because I can tell the story that needs to be yeah. told. And I think that if someone's reaching out to me, I've, you know, I've got a bit of a zany style. I think they know <laughs> what kind of direction <laughs> things are going to go They're in. They're not going to ask you for a simple pantsuit. No. Yeah. Can I have a linen shift <laughs> energy? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, and I think you're probably too young to remember the quote from Field of Dreams, but um, if you build it, they will come. Oh, no, I know that. Is that, um, is Field of Dreams the one with G- Gina Davis in it? Or is that a different no. one? No. Oh, That's I'm, I'm League not, maybe of her own. what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a baseball that, it's, movie though, hey. Yeah, they're both baseball movies. You've got oh, that. Okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. all right. Okay, I'm getting <laughs> No, it's Kevin, it's, it's Kevin Costner in a field, okay. a cornfield with some ghosts that play baseball. Right. There was something going on like 20 <laughs> years ago. People were very into baseball movies. Anyway. Yes, very. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that line is so true. Like, Um, you know, if you build it, they will come. And it's like, if you're 
chasing around something that's not authentically you, it's just yeah. not going to happen. And so that, I think, that is a, yeah, that is exactly what you've done is exactly the right thing, right? Just like, yeah. I, um, I've said this on the podcast before. I don't know if you've heard me talk about this, but mm. I think this is hilarious and you'll appreciate it. Yeah. So I was getting very into pom-poms there for a while on my mm-hmm. collages mm. and I just gotten rep by a gallery in Toronto, Mayberry Fine Art. And they're very, they're, they're a nice, like fancy kind of gallery, right? With like yeah. legit art. And I, here I am sticking pom-poms on things. So I, yeah. I messaged the gallery director and I was like, Hey, how do you feel about pom-poms? Yeah. <laughs> she wrote me back and said, use them sparingly. <laughs> and so I did this piece. I'll, I'll post it in the post with all your work yeah. at the bottom. Is that Queen Elizabeth in a pile of pom poms, like knee deep, dropping another one into the Heaven. pile? And the title yeah. is something like, um, um, Use them sparingly, they said, but Liz was already knee deep. Oh my God, so good. <laughs> because I was like, How do you use pom poms sparingly? You can't. You can't. And they look better when they're messy, like they're clumped together. Yeah, when there's so many. And so now Mayberry is amazing. And they're like, you know what? Do what you got to do. And so now I'm gluing all the things onto all the stuff. And it's so satisfying and fun. And I'm really making the art. It's a bit crazy what I'm making right now. And uh, I had the pain. I think I've seen some of it. Is this the, um, it's kind of, it's like, would you say collage but with the ceramic-y sort of yes. thing? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, it's sort of like 3D turning into some sort of 3D collage. And it's super weird. Um, and I had that inner critic moment of, oh, mm. this is weird. Like, who's mm. going to buy this? And then I just thought, I don't care. I, yep. like, I have to make, like, I have this weird, I need to make it thing. And I'm just going to make it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it's only through that, like making and through combating that little internal narrative and having that discussion, but making it anyway, that you get from A to Z sort of thing. It's such a journey though. Hey, Um, such a weird conversation with yourself constantly. It Um, is. And when you're buying, like, you know, when you're spending money on, I mean, and I don't spend a ton of money because I buy Mm. it all from thrift shops, but you know, it adds up and you're thinking, what is the point? Like, because I've been in business for so long and advertising for so long and all these things, like, you know, you're thinking about your return on investment, your ROI there, you know, and your KPIs. And I don't know what that is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And so, but, you know, um, I just, I think like that is a huge inspiring part of your story is just like making, just making the stuff that is you. Like I, you are that fairy now. I'm so happy. You have, what did you think you were, you were just going to magically like evolve when you grew up? Yeah, I, think you I did. was just thought that I was going to grow into a fairy. And it happened, um, it's funny that you mentioned that, um, that, uh, you know, return on investment because I've, I've actually never felt that more at the moment. And I think because of Hugo, because I'm just like, that's when I, cause I like to set aside time still for like discovery and play and, and, um, but I, I feel like. I put pressure on it now because I'm like, if I don't get a good outcome, I'm like, I've wasted all this time. And this time is so precious. You know, I could have been making a tinsel jacket that I would just immediately sell. Like what's the point of like, you know, this, this play time. But I, I try to remind myself that always that like time of discovery and play is just so crucial because that's how this whole thing began. It didn't, it didn't begin because of, um, you know, that there was like a set outcome. It only came out of 
this kind of discovery process. And it sounds like with your work too, like the same, it's that same sense of like play and being open to discovery and having that conversation with your inner critic and like proceeding forward anyway, that you get to where you're trying to go. I always say to Tom, it's like, I'm trying to answer a riddle that no one is asking (laughs) with art as well. I'm like, that's why I'm like always so confused being like, is this the right thing? Am I spending the right time doing this? Like, what's the perfect thing? But I think if you can like play and be open and just um, keep, yeah, keep making and discovering, um, that's when you get to the interesting work. But um, what I'm trying to say is I really like what you're making. And it's been really interesting to see the evolution though, as well, from pom-poms to now, um, all these vintage pieces and and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what you're saying about play. Like there's lots of stuff that's going to end up probably going back to the thrift shop (laughs) yeah you know and that's okay too like you have to and I know what you mean like you know you've got this time so you're like okay let's just do something I can I know I can sell but it is so important to like go down the wrong road and be like nope that wasn't right and then backtrack halfway back down that road and be like actually this kind of is cool and you know because you you can't evolve otherwise yeah yeah absolutely And I think it's always good to, to, that's why I like keeping like a visual diary and stuff like that, even if it's quite ugly at times and not perfect. Um, I like to just like reflect on these things to be like, even something that was maybe like you thought of as bad or a mistake or didn't work out. It's like, actually though, like, what did you get from that experience? There, there is always something that is like a little seed. And even mm-hmm. if it maybe didn't like work out the way you thought it was going to, like you can be pretty certain that most of the time it will have propelled you for um taking one step towards you know that future goal that you didn't realize like I feel like as long as you're moving in that direction towards you know producing more work of Mm -hmm. that makes you happy like that's that's what's important as long as you're like moving forward and that there's always lessons to be learned along the way um and I, I like writing them down reflecting on it because it's like so surprising often to to think back to um what what has worked out weirdly or like what yeah. it's like if you look back on your collages what was the first time you ended up using like some little vintage ornament instead of all the materials that you you had used it's um I feel like it's a fun way to reflect and and tie up those links to encourage you to keep doing that stuff yeah and I think it's like creative people um isn't there a thing where like sharks if they stop moving forward they'll die Yes. Oh my God. That is like my favorite saying. I use that all the time. Do you? Yes. (laughs) And I think that's it, right? Like you have to keep moving forward or otherwise your creativity stagnates and you stagnate and um, you you have to keep moving forward. I see it like a, like a gym membership sort of thing. And I don't go to the gym, but I'm like, I make stuff and it's like, do it every day and stay creatively fit. Like that's, that's the way um, you keep it. It's like you're spinning the fireball sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Um, Totally. Yeah. 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 Okay. So far. Okay. So we got magpies, (laughs) spiders, sharks. Yeah, <laughs> we. I think we've got it all. Okay, so that just means oh, I've kept you for so long. Okay, the not so speedy speed round, and then I'll let you go. Oh, an iconic segment. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very glittery for you. Okay, so first thing first, you know what? Clearly, we need to ask this, and I think I already know your answer. Coffee okay. or tea? Coffee. <gasps> 
Really? I am like, I am at a point where I'm like, I need to drink more water because I feel like I have <laughs> substituted water with coffee. Yeah. How do you I think thought, the shark stays swimming? <laughs> yeah, I thought a good Aussie, you were going to say tea. No, I am fully into a coffee. I love an iced coffee um, mm-hmm. because it's so hot in Brisbane. So I have a little iced latte and it it is a good time. But yeah, I... Um, well, there's ice in that that is water. Uh, yeah, true, true. Some hydration there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I do like a little nighttime cup of tea. Uh, so with a little piece of shortbread, yum. Uh, <laughs> yes. But if I had to pick, it would absolutely be coffee. Um, okay, me too. Obsessed. Yeah. Thank God. Okay. Um, <laughs> your go-to birthday cake. Ooh, I would have to say like a lemon drizzle cake. Yum. <laughs> oh, and that, would you yeah. add sprinkles? Because that seems like would, that would be yeah. like a very quiet cake. Look, I love a sprinkle on top of a lemon drizzle, but I think that it looks quiet, but it's actually quite zesty and tangy. So, <laughs> <laughs> See, that was you in your uniform. Yes, I was zesty and tangy beneath the surface. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, your favorite toy as a kid? Oh gosh, I would have to say my suite of fairy winkles that I had. Um, did you, have you ever seen those toys? I'm not familiar with the fairy winkles. Oh gosh, they're so magical. You're going to need to Google them at some point. Fairy winkles. Okay, so there was like a flower pot and you would twist it and there'd be this little cherub fairy inside the tulip. And then there would be like a little swan. And then inside the swan was a little fairy with a little flower hat inside. They were, I just remember like obsessively playing with them. And then I think I think of the 90s too. I'm going to have to say this is like, there's a tie between my like glittery castles that would then turn into a tea set. That was that was also Wow. Yeah. Oh, splendid. Even just thinking of them now, oh, I would would buy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you still have them? I don't, but I must say that one of my favorite ways to procrastinate is to look at eBay listings of these toys. And I think I'm going to have to get some because I I don't even know where they went. I just don't know how my kindergarten tin stuffed with letters survived and yet my fairy winkles did not. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe during one of your degrees, your mom threw them away as like, I think absolutely. They did not fit with the spiral staircase aesthetic. So they they were cut. (laughs) Yeah, they were probably coated in glitter too. My mom, okay, see, now I'm aging myself, but um, I had a Cabbage Patch kid yes. in the 80s. And when I left for university, my mom gave it to the thrift shop. Oh, brutal. Why yeah. are they so unsentimental? I don't I'm know. Like, I, yeah. like, I was like, those are my children, Lorne, Stuart, and Magenta. And <laughs> I came back from university and they were gone. They'd been like, I was like, I adopted them. I made a lifetime commitment. And yes. Now they're at the thrift shop. So I was at my local thrift shop the other day Mm -hmm. um, looking for stuff for my work. There were two Cabbage Patch Kids, like real ones. Yeah. I didn't buy them. They're actually quite weird and ugly. But I did a quick check to make sure it wasn't Lauren and Magenta because if it was, I would have bought them. But I was like, it's so funny. They were on the shelf for like a buck each. And it's like, back in the day, my mom, they had to line up in the mall before the mall opened and like fight yeah. other mothers to get the cabbage patch. And now here they are legit ones, not rip off yep. on the shelf for a buck. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I was so tempted to buy them just oh, as I was yep. like, it's a real one. 
but imagine if you actually tracked down like magenta and you found it i wonder what she's doing be, now she's she's probably a lawyer or a doctor now <laughs> yes wow um i feel like i was also really obsessed with the like legit original beanie babies as well whenever oh, i see them yeah. in the pop shops i'm like they're the good ones the ones that are out now not so keen on but the like legit cute beanie babies yeah adorable did you have a bed covered in them I had so many of them and I think I was one of those people um that thought they were going to be a return on investment and have you read anything about intense beanie baby collectors because I have and some people like literally used beanie babies as like they were like this will be my super fund of um this is my investment of beanie babies people had court cases about how like splitting the beanie babies and then the beanie baby market crashed and no one got any money from their beanie babies (laughs) oh you can't put your money in beanie babies i've always said that i've always said it Uh, you should I, i suppose you don't have those anymore either no, because my mom is incredibly unsentimental. She yeah. keeps trying to give me my folder of artworks when I was a kid. I'm like, no, you keep them because you need to cherish them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why, why don't you care? Cherishing. Can you please cherish more things? But she has like turned my room at home into just like another part of her wardrobe. And I'm like, why? Why aren't you keeping this as a small shrine to me? But she's like, nah, don't care. <laughs> my mom is the same way. Do you want this stuff? I'm like, why don't you yeah. like yeah i'm like all of hugo's things i'm like i'm like keeping all his clothes being like one day i'm gonna turn this into like a beautiful quilt of like you know and i'm, I'm being such a hoarder with all hugo's stuff but i'm like why isn't my mom hoarding my stuff come on mom i've got all i have charlie's i just bought him a pair um of size 12 <laughs> i think they're size size 11 or 12 um slides like adidas slides that he can wear to basketball yeah. they're gigantic yeah. Um, and, but I've saved his first little pair of, you know, like those little leather slippery things yes. that they were. And I was like, I said to my husband, I need to take a picture of them side by side. Cute. Yes. Oh, because God. I'm a good mother who, you know, yes. hoards. Who is cherishing. That's so right. Cherishing. My mom was like, I don't have room for all this stuff here. You take yep. it. Oh. My mom is in the same school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So now I wrote this last speedy speed round question before understanding the fairy obsession Mm. so work with me on this but charlie likes would you rather so would you rather be a mermaid or a unicorn but now i feel like (laughs) you know it should be like mermaid or fairy but then we know what you're going to say i don't know what to do here yeah yeah look i love look love all mythical creatures but i have to say i would pick a mermaid something like i like unicorns but i don't love unicorns you know i feel like people assume that i would love unicorns but i'm not crazy about them (laughs) (laughs) let me just scratch that right off my unicorn gift yeah when people give me unicorn like gifts and things i'm like you don't really know me i'm not that (laughs) into i'm more yeah i'm more of a fairy and love and i love a mermaid too um for obvious reasons now as well um but uh, yeah actually fun my la I know I'm I'm I could as you can gather I can really chat um but uh when I was young I also was quite obsessed with mermaids hence why I was so chuffed with the little mermaid collab um yeah. to the point where mum would always cut our hair into these aggressive bobs like and all I wanted was like really long flowing princess <laughs> hair and so I would elastic band a tea towel onto my head and then like 
when we were in the pool and stuff, I was like, I am a mermaid with flowing hair. <laughs> was it the same tea so towel you used for your there. tap lessons? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm like, there's a consistent link of tea towels here. Maybe there's an art project in this. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say about the Beanie Babies. Like, imagine if you started working Beanie Babies oh. into your sculptural work. <laughs> that would be really fun. Soft sculpture Beanie Baby dress. Yeah. I see it coming. Yes. Oh, yes. God. It's all coming together now. Well, you know, and I was thinking, I knew you were going to be chatty and fun. You can just tell from the things that you make. And I, when I was writing this, would you rather, I'm like, unicorns can't talk that would drive her crazy yeah true actually true how would you they communicate even mermaid can mer- mermaids can talk under the sea i guess even though yeah. some adaptations will make mermaids like really scary i'm not yeah. into that I'm much those are sirens that. like let's yeah, not yeah. go there no i'm talking yeah, like ariel yeah. and her sisters yes absolutely yeah. also i feel like were there some mermaids in fantasia or were they just centaurs? Because hmm. I feel like the mermaidy centaur creatures in Fantasia are amazing. They're all like pastely colored, like heaven. Just as a side, I'll note. have and to I go. I'll like, have to go and take another yeah. closer oh, look. At I that. think you will love uh, if you <laughs> <laughs> do some googlings. Uh, fairy winkles, pastel yeah. mermaids. Perfect. <laughs> I have a lot of post research to do after this conversation. <laughs> um, that I'm gonna let you go because I've kept you on here forever and. I'm sure your mom is loving the Hugo time, but still your day has just begun there and um, I probably have to go make dinner. Oh yes, I do. Um, But thank you so much. This was so fun. I'm always so happy when I get to take my Instagram friendships from um, the DM area into real life. It's so much more interesting. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for making the time and for chatting. And yeah, thank you so much for doing this podcast as well. It's been so wonderful. I spend so much of my days working and listening and it's just been such a treat. And um, I'm very deeply chuffed to be talking to you. So uh, (laughs) thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. And I can't wait to put this post together. There's going to be so many sparkly things. It's going to be gorgeous. (laughs) All right, well, go get another iced coffee and um, I'll see you on Instagram. All right. See you. Have a good night. Okay. You too. Bye. Extra special indeed. Oh my word. Don't you want to cover everything you own in pom-poms now just because you can? I love that after all of the avenues she tried, (laughs) this wondrous sparkly place is where Rachel truly found herself. And as far as I'm concerned, she really did grow up to be a fairy, right? Now, speaking of glittery, joyful things, I'm going to be taking December off from the podcast to get myself organized for the holidays, spend time with my boys, and so that I can bank a whole bunch of new episodes to kick off a new year. Oh man, we really need a new year. (laughs) So what am I going to do? Well, instead of fireworks, I'm going to give you something even louder and more colorful. Yep. Ashley Longshore will be here to spread some New Year magic as my very first episode in 2021. Now, all of that said, I'm not going anywhere. You can still get your art fix all through December because, of course, I'll be doing usual daily posts on my site and Instagram because, honestly, I can't not. Yeah, it is an obsession, and I'm okay with that. Anywho, all of the stuff Rachel and I talked about is over on my site right now, thejealouscurator.com, so pop over there and take a look. Thank you so much to Rachel for hanging out with me for this long. Thanks to Rachel's mom for hanging out with Hugo for so long. And thanks to you for listening.
There will be more art for your ear in 2021. See you then.